0: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator ten for ten percent off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
1: Hello, this is Good One, a podcast about jokes. I'm your host, Vulture senior editor Jesse David Fox. Usually, we have a comedian come on to play a clip of one of their bits, and then discuss how they wrote it and how it fits into what they're trying to do with their comedy. But not this week. Everything is different living in this pandemic, and I want to do an episode that acknowledges that. After this, we will return to our normal episodes. These past few weeks, I've been thinking about my life pre-COVID and what I didn't appreciate enough, as I'm sure a lot of people have. And I am very privileged to have this show where I can talk to comics I admire so much, But I have, for a while now, taken comedy as a live experience for granted. Before all this, people would ask how often I'm seeing shows, assuming it's a lot, as to them, that would be really cool, getting to laugh for work. But the truth is, I was going to see live comedy maybe once a month max. I still enjoyed comedy, but I would just focus on what had been filmed and recorded, what I could watch at home. Right now, I regret that. What you find funny is very personal, You laugh before you talk. So to be in a room with 50, 100, 400, 4,000 strangers and to share your laugh, to laugh together, is a special thing that I hadn't been treating as so. Comedians are not necessarily the people hit hardest by the virus, though many are underemployed and underinsured, not to mention those who are immunocompromised. But the change is radical for a lot of them, especially stand-ups. Not only are the careers of stand-ups dependent on being able to talk to large groups of people most nights of the week, their mental health is as well. So I spoke to two of my favorite comedians, two of, in my opinion, the absolute best stand-ups alive, past guests Roy Wood Jr. and Maria Bamford, about what these past few weeks have been like. I think no one can really, really understand this, but the comedian's job is to articulate the hard to say, so I thought at least they'd help put a finger on how this feels. Unlike a traditional episode where it's one long interview, the show will be in two acts, this American lifestyle, so Act 1, Packed House. Roy Wood Jr. is a correspondent for The Daily Show, a tremendously good stand-up comedian, and the most deliberate joke writer I know. All comedians work on their material, but Roy really works it, trying it out in front of as many and as varied audiences as he can. What happens then, when he can't do the one thing he knows to do when something's bothering him? What happens that doing that one thing would actually make the problem worse, as it would encourage congregating large groups in tight spaces? Roy is still working on The Daily Show, which, like all late-night shows, is filming episodes with talent in their homes, and he has another daily job that currently is taking up more time than it had pre-quarantine, being a father. One way he's adapted is he shot a short sketch with his three-year-old son in which Roy is giving an interview about the day of parenting in the style of a coach talking to a post-game reporter. So, here is that sketch, followed by my conversation with Roy Wood Jr. Are
2: oh, you the daddy. I mean, you know, we're in unprecedented times right now, and I really think that fatherhood is a moving target. I don't think it's fair to say that you could be a good dad or a bad dad when the truth of the matter is that, you know, fatherhood, the best you can be is trying to be a good father every day. There's quarantine, there's stress in everybody. You know, you're spending more time around your kids. I'm lucky because my all I got is a 3-year-old. If he was 14, 15, I'd have to fight him every day. But I got a 3-year-old, you just give him chocolate milk and graham crackers and you're pretty much in the gang for most of the day so we'll just look at the tape and see what we can do tomorrow to to be a better parent
3: okay so now so this is so
2: what's your favorite color my favorite color
1: i'm here with Roy Wood jr thank you for joining me in your home
2: yes Happy quarantine to you and yours <laughs> you as well uh, so let's start here.
1: How are you doing? How are you holding up? How are you handling this? Are you a hopeful person? Are you a pessimistic person? I'm
2: mm, an optimistic pessimist mm-hmm. so it'll be bad but not as bad like bad bad like it'll will be like I'm the guy who thinks things will come back around in May, not mm-hmm. the June July type yeah you're like there is an end. Yeah, April's fucked. Let's yeah. just start there. Yeah, April uh, for sure gone.
1: So, um, what was the last time you performed in front of people live,
2: and what was it like? Oh my god, I can't, I can't remember complete. I well, I know this. Mm-hmm. I know my last road gig was Pittsburgh, at the Pittsburgh Improv, and this is like, hmm mid-February? When was CPAC? When was the CPAC convention? That was March, right? Yeah, that was was early March. South by
1: Southwest would have been, like around the 7th, they canceled South by Southwest.
2: Okay, so then Pittsburgh was 25-26, or it was the end of February. It was the last weekend of February, and COVID was starting to sprinkle around a little bit. In Seattle, in the West Coast so there were talks of, oh it could You never know, but you know We're just arrogant Americans But I remember Pittsburgh specifically Because I made the decision to not shake hands After the show Mm -hmm. Just in case That was my big precaution I'm still going to get on the jet And keep half a foot of social distancing From everyone in a bathroom In an airplane, but at my live show I, I just, I made the decision In Pittsburgh, you know what Maybe I shouldn't shake 300 hands four shows in a row. That's 1,200 hands. And normally I'm the type of guy that goes out after the show to say hello, take a picture and all of that. So it was something I was very paranoid about mm-hmm. in a weird way. Like, oh, I, I like meeting people, but I'm not going to get sick for you, bitches.
1: And then you when did you cancel your shows or the first show did you cancel?
2: so the first one to fall was south by southwest that was the first one and then i was off i had I had a couple off weeks because february was a heavy road month so i try mm-hmm. to kind of oscillate them or whatever but starting at the end of march i had like the next four to five weeks i was working mm-hmm. you know and so We made the decision, we talked about, well, you know what, we should, can't. I can't remember what the gig was at the end of March, but I know the first week of April was New Brunswick, New Jersey, and then the following week was Cleveland at Hilarities. And so I had a buddy in the middle of March, uh, when Cleveland went down, this is when I knew shit was getting real, Mm -hmm. they canceled South By, and then the state of Ohio went from gatherings of 100 or less to 50 or less. Which effectively closed the comedy clubs. And when I saw that, I go, oh, well, I assume Cleveland isn't going to happen. And if Cleveland isn't going to happen, I would assume that these other cities probably aren't going to happen either. And then the next thing you know, you know, everything fell off the schedule. And, you know, that was that.
1: Yeah, it quickly went from gatherings of 50 to comedy clubs are closed.
2: Yeah. And in that time, I'd say I did a couple, after. I'd say between Pittsburgh ending and the beginning of March, I did a couple of sets around town. You know, nothing really that that major. You know, just, hey, I'm trying to do five, ten minutes here. I'm starting to put the hour, the new hour together. And, you know, just, hey, here's a, where can I go try some of this new shit? And I went to Brooklyn to some spots I've forgotten about. And mm-hmm. then the next thing I know, I go to CPAC, and I come back from CPAC, uh, we were doing we were doing a piece um, at CPAC. And then I think a week and a half later, it came out that somebody at CPAC had tested positive mm-hmm. and they were there two days after I was there. We weren't there on the same days, blah, blah, blah. But that same week that I found that out, that was the same week that Viacom pretty much shut down all of their studios across mm-hmm. all networks. So quarantine since then, man
1: um there there are obviously multiple things this pandemic is affecting i want to start with talking a little bit more about the business of comedy since uh as we were all starting to realize the severity of what was happening you wrote an article for vulture entitled it's time for stand up to prepare for the worst And, and you go through many issues but at the core of it is clubs will start closing and those that do survive will need to be making money quickly so that means booking differently on top of that a recession will mean less disposable income and comedy as you say is sort of a non-essential expense and, and I really I really suggest people read the article but you know I've been thinking a lot recently about the comedy boom of the 80s and how it ended essentially with a third of the, all the clubs closing after the early 90s recession mm-hmm. um, obviously again there's so much in danger right now but what is it about for stand-up comedy that this threat could be sort of existential?
2: Let me start by saying stand-up will survive. Yeah. The, the concept of going out and seeing someone yap in public has been around since eighteen oh whenever the you could go back to the Romans or some other part of history that I don't know shit about. yeah. and like they say the plague wiped out millions. Yeah, you know what? There was still fucking plays and theaters and shit after it. So people will figure out a way to entertain one another. Uh, I think this COVID-19 crisis has exposed just how how unsteady of a foundation Mm -hmm. comedy has existed upon. And, you know, I'm almost shocked at how quickly some of the clubs have already just, "Eh, yeah, we're going to let our workers go. We can't afford to keep them. We can't pay them. And so... I think that it's going to be a slow go to come back to that type of norm. What I do wonder though is what type of boom would comedy see on the backside of this because if there's fewer there aren't going to be fewer performers. There's just going to be fewer structured places for them to go and make revenue which makes me feel like the clubs more than likely will become the independent venues. I think we'll see I mean this is just a wild prediction off the top but I think a lot of what the alt comedy movement did in the early arts, I call it alt 1.0, you know, Posehn, Oswald, Silverman, um, give me Dimitri Martin somewhere in that mix as well. Um, I think that they were able to find their own audience, their own venues and things like that. And I think you're just going to see a lot of that happening on a smaller basis.
1: Beyond, the the people who you know beyond people are going to get sick you know in terms of standups, who are you most uh, afraid for or, or scared for when you you look at the terrain that currently exists sort of will
2: exist after this i think the comics that may take the hit the hardest of the road features i think big city comics you know, you may have to find a day job or do something else until the club infrastructure comes back in the large markets. But if you're a guy like me where I started my first nine years averaging 40 to 50,000 miles a year, just driving everywhere mm-hmm. to perform in the Wichitas and the Little Rocks and the the Knoxvilles of the world, you know, there's an entire ecosystem of comics that are out there that aren't going to have those B and C rooms to go play anymore. And they live in a city where there may only be one B room. So stage time is going to be limited. I think comedy eventually just has to go a lot more local in terms of the talent pool that they fish from. And you bring in, you bring in a national act on the weekends, but the concept of being a road feature, like I performed in an average year as a feature act, you know, as a middle, you have an MC, a feature and a headliner and the, the feature you're so close to headlining and making more money. You know, um, i say in the average year, I could perform in 20 to 25 States if yeah. I was willing to drive everywhere. So you're not going to have 25 States worth of work. Not initially, not on the backside of this. I think you'll see a lot of comics migrate to digital and see if there's a way to do something that exists in a digital sphere or do something that eventually brings them brings their audience to them in a live capacity when it's time but you know we're going to approach a serious level of, of saturation with the digital content for people to consume because right now as far as i can tell you know there are a lot more people producing content that who i know for a fact comedians who weren't doing this shit a month ago so you got to do something. You got to figure it out. So, you know, it's going to raise the bar of separation on creativity as well. Uh, in, in terms of...
1: Tr- what do you mean in terms of people who are more distinct in their creativity? Yeah. Will- it's gonna,
2: yeah, because a lot of comics are trying to do something now that 10 years ago was considered innovative. Yeah. So you're behind the curve. So if you're going to create separation from the masses, you have to be doing something that's different. A lot of these digital comics, and I hold no disdain for any person that figured out a way to get laughs online before they got them in a comedy club. A lot of the comics that are online, they went online because the club system wouldn't accept them, where they thought it was full of shit because the clubs were run by egotistical club owners who like to keep their foot on everybody's neck. And the kids yeah. were young and hungry, so they went online. So... Adaptation is a byproduct of struggle. So we'll see how comics adapt. But if you're just expecting to get online now in 2020 and do the same shit that people was doing back in 08 or 2010 or Rogan 1.0, Mark Maron when he was on episode three, like it's yeah. not, it could work. It's just going to take a hell of a lot longer when at the end of the day, it's got to be authentic and it's got to be something different.
1: Yeah. So the other component is the people who work for the clubs. Uh, Mike, Mike Pabriglia recently spearheaded the idea of tipyourweightstaff.com, uh, and it's an Instagram Live show you and him have done where you and another comedian talk through jokes you're working on on Instagram Live as a way of raising money for s- specific local clubs and their staff. It would be helpful for those who are listening who, who maybe haven't thought twice about the staff at comedy venues to hear from you about what these people mean to a comedian like yourself.
2: They are literally the red blood cells of the comedy club experience. Period, point blank, full stop. You know, you come into a club, your ability to pay attention to me and listen to my material only happens because they were flawless with bringing drinks and the food was good and the food came on time. So at no point are you checked out and thinking about where the hell is my food? Because that's usually... Yeah. The first thing you're going to be annoyed by the drink was too weak. Where my drink my way to tripping. So if you have someone that's doing that job and working hard and taking care of that, it just makes my job that much easier. And I know that sounds cliche to say, but it is the truth. It, it just, mm-hmm. it makes everything a lot easier and a lot more enjoyable. And when you look at like there, there's times where, you know, they're counting on tips and, you know, they work for less than minimum wage and they make the rest up in tips. So if there is no live show, even if you're looking at the club giving them what they would have made, that's probably based on hourly salary and mm-hmm. not something with tips. And so it's we were thinking, you know, at the time when Berbiglia was talking through it, he, I know he called me, he called John Mulaney. Um, at the time we were like well We'll figure out comedians later We'll f- give in A few weeks Something There will be something for comedians But we know for sure These people Are going to be hit first And they're probably yeah. going to be hit the hardest So let's do something for the wait staff And the bar staffs first And then we'll come back around And start figuring out uh, Some stuff with the comedians I know Comedy Central, Viacom, they kind of beat us to that. And they've got something that's a lot more meaningful because my Rolodex isn't that deep. I couldn't (laughs) get those
1: people. Um, So I want to talk a little bit about writing material. In, in, In some interviews, you've contrasted this time to when you were doing comedy on September 12th, 2001, which was, you know, similarly a paradigm shifting, horrible thing that happened to this country. As this keeps going on, how, how, do you, how would you say this is different?
2: September 12th was, can I laugh? Whereas now it's, should I leave the house? And when you do leave the house, even now, people are paranoid. If you mumble a cough, do you understand what a cough would do to a comedy show right now? Yeah. It'd be the same as a gunshot. And so... How do you tell jokes in an environment like that? How do you tell like I've I've literally the one thing I have stopped doing doing during the quarantine is I've stopped working on my stand up. I've I've turned creatively to working on scripts and there's a book proposal that I want to get done. There's a film I want to write and I think I'll have more than enough time to get those things taken care of. But I have not looked at my material because I don't know what we're going to be on the other side of this. So I don't know which material Mm -hmm. of what I've already written, what's even going to stick or even will people even be able to register that like now? Like it sounds it sounds fucking crazy to say that I may have to drop my Kobe Bryant funeral stuff and how that changed the country. In lieu of this Mm -hmm. Because this like You want to talk about something that I thought Affected us nationally and brought us together I thought it was Kobe's death Wrong (laughs) I'll see your Kobe and raise you a pandemic You know Like it's So to even But then I also from an originality standpoint I don't want to just be on stage And go COVID COVID Corona 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 because I know every comedian out the gate is going to be firing that shit off. This is going to be like O.J. It's going to be like stand-up comedy in 95 when O.J. beat the verdict. When O.J. beat the, the murder rap and then every comedian had an O.J. joke. So I almost want to take a step back and just see where the dust settles in society and just kind of exist and live a little before trying to you know, open up the joke book again. And at that time, hopefully some of the material I was working on in Pittsburgh will still have some legs and if not you know it is what it is is this the longest you've been without working on your stand-up or will it be yes and what's that like the the record i i in 21 years of stand-up comedy my two longest droughts one was 13 days and that was because of a christmas vacation um to argentina that i I wanted to go I just didn't want to go that fucking long I don't want to be out of the country that long And then the other the other time I was on the bench I was on the bench for a month With vocal cord issues three years Ago So that was more of a medical <laughs> Yeah So yeah I'm I'm going a little Stir crazy I do have I do have a bit of an itch Thankfully writing scripts Is scratching a lot okay. of that creative stuff For me I am intrigued by what some of the stand-ups are doing online. You know, some of them are doing the shows alone in their house. It looks and feels weird. I don't know if I could ever do it. Uh, Mark Norman did something I thought was funny, where he just went out and performed for pedestrians at six feet. Yeah. (laughs) Which, you know, I thought that was like, all right, that's cool. You know, you're still outside, so I'm sure that's going to piss off some people. But Mark Norman's always been edgy. Yeah, it's a different Uh, sort of edgy yeah so you know i I have the itch to get back on stage but i'm not gonna rush it there i'm still making forward progress and i think that's the thing that i hope all these stand-ups you know once you have your panic attack of oh fuck how am i going to pay my rent then live in that fear and create because that's where a lot of the good stuff's gonna come from is when you're crying alone Uh
1: I'm going to ask what uh, is maybe a, an obvious question, but I, I think it'd be useful in capturing how radically different this is for comedians, even compared to musicians who also play live shows, but ultimately can play their songs in a room, they can play over live streams and It's not tremendously different. To you, what does a live audience mean to the process of stand-up comedy and your own process as a person who I, who I know is extremely deliberate about how you test your jokes to certain audiences?
2: Comedy is comedy about our audience is talk radio. <laughs> like you're just you're just talking into an abyss and until you take a call and you have no idea what you're doing or mm-hmm. if you're doing a good job. Um the audience is integral. Part of why I don't feel comfortable doing stand up without an audience is because comedy is a conversation. I use words, the audience uses sounds. The audience gets to reply to everything. You know instantaneously whereas if you have no audience you're listening to one side of a conversation and if you're observing that as a third party it's hard to know whether or not like even if you don't find a joke funny you have to acknowledge when somebody else laughed yeah it's like okay well maybe he's talking about something maybe there was a point to that um i just never thought that that we would be in this place which i was joking on twitter about how it makes so many old comedy specials just look ahead of their time. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody talks about Drew Michael doing his HBO special without an audience, but people forget Harlan Williams did a special in like 06 mm-hmm. alone in the desert with no audience. It's called Force of Nature.
1: I know Maria <laughs> did a special by herself. I feel like Chris Rock recorded an album in the studio instead of with an audience.
2: Yeah, he did that with <laughs> Prince Paul. I think it was bigger than black. Bigger than blacker. Yeah.
1: A lot of people in a, in a variety of jobs right now are, are trying to figure out how to do their work while managing, essentially homeschooling their kid. Uh, you have a son at home. You did a very funny video, You a, a parental post-game <laughs> interview with your son, <laughs> uh, interviewed about the day of being a dad. Um, how has it been as a creative person with your son around all the time?
2: Uh, it's not good. I'll just say that bluntly. Um, More so than the audience The thing that I really Really appreciate Was the time I was able to be alone And be away from home Um, I was a better Writer when I was not in a Relationship and I wasn't a parent And I like And that's not to say that There isn't value in love and family And fatherhood and parenting mm-hmm. But the space needed to create like Chris rock. No, not Chris rock. Chappelle Chappelle said this shit a long time ago in a rolling, I think it was a rolling stones interview. He just said, every comedian needs to understand what feeds their joke machine. And when you identify things that are going on in your life in times of high creative flow, like when you have a creative high tide, identify the things that were going on Mm -hmm. in that time. And I know for me being annoyed and being alone, are two things that more often than not can get my synapses firing. Because I can't, because my son is constantly here and we don't have a babysitter. We're not sending him out. We're not letting anybody in the house right now. I The impulse to be a dad just supersedes mm. the desire to be a comic and I can't resist it. He comes over with a fucking monster truck. You want to see me do a jump? I'm not going to say get the fuck out of here. I'm working on a mass shooting joke. <laughs> I can't. I have to go, yes, son, show me the jump. <laughs> and you know, because within that, you just don't want you have to be careful from a relationship standpoint of just not becoming two people that are existing mm-hmm. in a space. You don't want to ever feel like you're just roommates with your girl and y'all just raising a kid. Like so what I'm figuring out the workflow is is if I can work between midnight and four in the morning, I'm I'm serious. I can get more done in three hours from Mm -hmm. 12 to 3 than trying to do it concurrently from 8 a.m. until 10 p.m. I will get more done in those three hours. So I would rather work overnight, sleep three hours, wake up with him, do everything, then in his nap time get the rest of the sleep that I'm owed Mm -hmm. from the night before. So that's starting to become the pattern and you know and and also have to be respectful uh you know to my girl's schedule because i don't she shouldn't have to just sit with him all day too she's yeah. got her own business she's got stuff she's trying to do <laughs> yeah. she's trying to do yoga in the living room i don't want him crawling over her showing her that fucking monster truck <laughs> nobody wants to see you jump that monster truck <laughs>
1: um you've still been working on the daily show you've done a few segments uh why not not to say that you shouldn't but But why, for you, are you doing it? What is the value of it or comedy at a time like this for for you as a person creating it, for hopefully the audience that's receiving it?
2: We have an opportunity still. You know, the first week that the quarantine really started hitting hard, um, in March, we were doing the show digitally. We made a couple of episodes and put them out online. And, you know, Trevor and the network had a conversation about things and we decided to, you know, make the jump to broadcast again and put the stuff back out on TV. And, you know, I I don't take this job lightly to have an opportunity to point a finger at the bullshit and hopefully make people laugh in the process. And I feel like if you have that opportunity, you have to take it because not everybody has the ability to figure out a way to make it funny and tasteful. But some people may still need a laugh. Mm. I think that's the one thing that is probably most evident in all of this is that, yeah, people all at home, we're all at home together. That's why everybody's chuckling about Tiger King because it's something to laugh at. Tiger King ain't got shit to do with no virus. So people still want to be entertained. They want to either escape or learn, you know, I thought it was really dope that we were the first late night show to have Dr. Fauci on and be able to ask some real questions. So, you know, I had a conversation over a video conference uh, with a healthcare professional who was explaining to me what was going on with the masks and what's really happening over there with how our healthcare employees aren't getting the equipment they need. And if there's a joke or two within that, it's worth doing and mm. what else what else do i have to do all day other than play playstation and type of movie script and, you know like so if trevor's still going full steam i'm right there with him neck and neck we shot an entire sketch um in my apartment that we made into a movie trailer that that'll be out by the time this goes up that'll be on air so you know we did that so yeah. I, and also I have, you know, I have a decent iPhone between my phone, my son's iPad. I have a decent camera. And we got some lights. Yeah. I can shoot something decent, decent enough over here. So shit, why not? You know, it. not everyone has the audience. Not everyone has that opportunity. So to just to just throw that away because we're in quarantine. Nah, I don't want to do that.
1: Why create comedy? Is it is it hard to do when all this is happening? Is it just um, rewarding for you to do it? What is the feeling that you're getting from just I, some process? I think
2: I think comedy is my therapy, and I think every stand up that does stand up and entertains most creators across all genres. I believe it's a form of therapy for them. A lot of the time, this shit ain't for for y'all. It's for me. Yeah, and you know, the audience just gets to observe. I think if comedians specifically weren't able to create, I think there's a real fear of what could happen to us or what this could become. You know, what do you do with that, with, you know, depression or anxiety, or, you know, there's some comics with PTSD, and you know, like that's, this is their outlet. So just being able to create in any capacity, it's better than just sitting and twiddling your thumbs, even if the video only gets three or four hits. Like when I did that video with my son, you know, that was just me having a conversation with myself about how parenting your kid all day is so exhausting. There should be a post-game press conference about it. And then a light bulb went off in my head and I just set up my iPad and I just uploaded that online, just dicking around. Like that wasn't something I gave a lot of thought to. And then it just connected with a, a bunch of parents started reaching out. Man, I'll tell you, man, stay strong. And I'm like, all right. I didn't know that that qualified as a cry for help, but I guess maybe it did. Maybe it did. Yeah, I don't know. But it was it was funny. It was relatable. And I felt like there were other people out there that were probably going through the same thing. And I was right. And it did like a million views in a day. Yeah. So okay, well, let's just keep creating.
1: This, this is a learning process for everyone in so much as figuring out how to be a person in this situation, but also I imagine for people trying to create, it's, 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 it's just trying to figure out what works. And especially this is a sensitive subject. A lot of people are, are are dying or getting very sick. What have you learned about doing comedy about it? What What works or where the line is?
2: I found that the safest comedy is within our lawmakers, mm-hmm. and within people that are not taking heed to the warnings. I think that's like, like an easy target. Isn't it? it to me, it's never anybody with COVID, but the pastor in Florida who refused to close his church. All right, there's probably some jokes there about that guy and what kind of person this is, and him unknowingly or ignorantly, Mm -hmm. you know, exposing members of his congregation to something that we don't know a lot about, you know, yet. And I think there's always going to be humor somewhere within the outer orbits of an issue. If the sun is the center of the issue and nothing about the sun is funny. There's probably some jokes around Mars and Saturn mm-hmm. you can dabble in. And if you're if you're an edgy comic, if you're a Norman or a Jeselnik, you're probably around Mercury or Venus. <laughs> but nobody touches the sun. The st- you know what? I take Did you like come Jesselnik. up with that just now? That is yeah. very good. <laughs> Jeselnik would touch the sun, but just yeah. with his fingertips. Just enough. And it wouldn't be blatant. And it would be a joke. It wouldn't be something where I'm just saying something contrarian to get you riled up. Yeah there's still a joke for as long as there's a joke in there you know it's all fair game but you know i think the the other issue with with corona man is that the line is going to constantly change as more people die the less people they're going to be out in the zeitgeist that want to hear your fucking corona joke yeah you know there's going to be you know like there's always the Like the easy joke is the weight loss joke. That's one I've seen for the last two weeks on various social media. Not even just from comedians, just from regular people. They say, Corona, you lose 15 pounds. Shit, if I catch it twice, I'll be back down to my playing weight. Okay, (laughs) ha (laughs) ha ha. Yeah. That's fine. But a month from now, when 200,000 people are projected to have died, you're not going to have as big an audience for that I hope I catch Corona joke. Yeah. Some people might laugh, but there's going to be people that are affected by this. They're going to be, people. it's like doing cancer jokes. When you do cancer jokes, somebody in your, in your audience, statistically has beaten cancer or knows someone that has. So more and more people are going to have a soft spot for this as more and more of their friends and family die. Yeah. So um, I think the line for what's decent and indecent in this world, the sun is going to grow larger is all I'm saying.
1: Um, uh, I'll end it here. When you picture yourself performing again on stage, uh, what do you see? Where are you? Who are you performing in front of? What will, what will you hope it be
2: like? Uh, I can almost guarantee the first show is going to be a fundraiser of some sort. Um, which club? I do not know. Um, my instinct is to go home to Birmingham, but I don't think I'm going to travel initially. Um so maybe New York, you know, The Cellar and Gotham, you know, those are two clubs that I kinda hold really near and dear uh to my heart. Um I don't know, man. Um I this is gonna sound crazy. I don't really want to be the first comic to get back on the road and get in these rooms, you know. I kinda want to see where the game is going. Because also, I'm going to have to get my legs back under me. And I'm not anxious to get back on the road. A lot of my road dates that I had booked for April and May, we've pushed to June. I don't have anything on the calendar before June, which is when they're projecting that we'll kind of start coming out of our shell again. And those dates are on the book, so I'm going to have to go do them. But I have no clue what the fuck I'm going to talk about. You have to acknowledge this crisis. Yeah. So you can't ignore it, but it's also about figuring out how much of the pre-COVID world does an audience give a fuck about? And I think that will dictate the type of material that we can start back doing as comedians. I just think any comedian that walks on stage with a joke that he did pre-quarantine thinking it's going to hit the same, that's, mm, it might not. It depends on the joke.
1: Yeah, that's probably the thing where it's changing literally everything that we think of that is our lives so if you have any joke about really anything the stakes of it are now completely different
2: the priorities of it are different correct
1: um well thank you so much for taking the time it's great it's always great to talk to you
2: oh as always a pleasure
1: that was my conversation with Roy Wood jr you can watch roy's stand-up specials father figure and no one loves you on comedy central now or you can buy them on amazon and itunes Follow him on social media at Roywood Jr. We'll be right back with Maria Bamford.
0: Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in.
1: Welcome back to Good One, a podcast about jokes. This week we chose a theme and put together different kinds of interviews on that theme. Act two, is this thing on? Maria Bamford has been doing stand-up for over 30 years, and though she has never dealt with a situation like this, she has spent her career figuring out non-traditional ways to do stand-up. After a mental breakdown that led to her moving back home to live with her parents in Minnesota, she filmed an acclaimed web series, The Maria Bamford Show, in her bedroom. She has filmed specials without an audience or with just her parents in the room, Before the quarantine, she'd even invite strangers to coffee and perform just for them as a way of working on new material. All the while, she made a name for herself by talking about subjects others wouldn't talk about or weren't able to talk about in public. It might be fairly common for comedians to talk about mental illness on stage in 2020, but when Maria Bamford was first discussing her struggles with bipolar disorder and OCD, it was revolutionary and and it helped people. Considering all of this, unsurprisingly, Maria is one of the comedians who adapted to the pandemic and social distancing most quickly. She's doing two things which we discuss in our conversation. The first, which she calls Help Me Help You Help Me, is essentially an hour private online counseling session she does every once in a while, offering to help whoever needs it with whatever they need. The other thing is she's doing daily stand-up shows over the web conferencing service Zoom. Because it's not really possible to get the levels to work to handle the sound of laughter, the entire audience is muted. The result is Maria's performing 30 minutes of stand-up to complete silence and a grid of smiling faces. It's not like anything I've experienced. I I recommend it. She's doing it every day, 3 p.m. Pacific. So here is my conversation with Maria Bamford. We had some technical issues with her microphone, so sorry for some of the audio glitches you'll hear. It's a pandemic. I hope you'll cut us a little slack. Uh, So I am here at... Virtually with Maria Bamford. Thank you for joining me.
3: Thank you so much for having me on the show.
1: Um, let, Let's start here. How are you doing? How are you handling this? Oof. Right.
3: I was doing great at first. It was a introvert's paradise. And then I have kind of fallen off some sort of wagon. I just went to the drugstore yesterday and bought Easter candy. <laughs> and there are only two individuals in our household. So
1: yeah, you
3: can only... I just had a had a chocolate egg for breakfast. Is what I'm trying to tell you. That with up the diet coke, a scoop of peanut butter, and some raisins. Um. So there's some healthy stuff there. I'm not. I'm not a fool.
1: The (laughs) the last person I talked, I interviewed um, as the pandemic was really ramping up was Mark Maron, and we were talking about how people who suffer from anxiety and for that matter, certain comedians as sort of observers and catastrophic thinkers are prepared for things like that. Do, do you think that's true? Do you feel e- equipped in at least some ways for this?
3: Well, the funny part for me is just that, you know, having all you know, OCD, lots of anxiety, fear, you know, and then when you call your therapist, and they're like, no, you're right. <laughs> no, it's, it's bad out there. There's but bo- there's corpses stacked stacked in churches, and you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> I thought you, are am I supposed to breathe in through my nose and then feel the warmth of the air through my mouth? No, shut it down. So <laughs> um, that that's hilarious. Um, <laughs> but the one thing is that I'm grateful that I'm on meds yeah. that are you know have all the shitty side effects. Boo. Uh, but i am stable and I think that really helps a tremendous amount my husband and I are both on the by bi- bipolar spectrum and you know have to kind of w- watch that i'm great yeah I'm grateful just to have yeah some sort of uh mental stability because I think it's it's pretty easy just reading the front page of the New york Times it's like <laughs> with thousands thousands have died yes and mm. then they'll But then there's this great new thing and it's probably gonna work out. But then, all everyone has it. Everyone has it. Oh, there's a wonderful doctor though who did a, it's a video that says if you just wash your hands, it's gonna be great. But if you want, you know, it's just like this up and mania of of total um, panic, you know, plus new crossword puzzles like, Wait, what am I supposed to be feeling right now? Isn't it a great time for streaming? And then like like there
2: are no masks.
3: <laughs> like h- how to to feel you've got to have some way to calm yourself and for me that de- definitely is is medication oriented, but um and then try to do the exercise and the mindfulness meditation, but none of that stuff would work for me if I weren't medicated yeah. heavily. <laughs>
1: um, I, I, I want to talk to you about the thing you're doing to to help partly yourself and also help other people, as you put it. Uh, help me, help you, help me is the name of. I don't know if you'd call it a, a program. It's a, oh, no. it's a thing you're doing it's online. Doing.
3: Yes. <laughs> what
1: What is it, and ha- how and why did it start?
3: Well, it's to pass the hours. Um, it's I, I I did wanted to, I did pitch to a reality show for a while about I would just do come in like a makeover show where nothing happens like I come in I clean out your silverware drawer maybe mm-hmm. maybe and then uh, we both sit there and go well how did how was that <laughs> and then, <laughs> was that any good and um, so this yeah just kind of i feel completely useless right now and Mm -hmm. so uh the idea that i i probably might harm you i have no uh training or uh yeah my my skill level you know that i may, may say something that's unhelpful but if people want help help Uh, from a white lady, I always like to get in there. (laughs) Yeah, I love to publicly help people so that I get some credit for it. Anything, uh, I am ethically competitive. So if it seems like, oh, I'm a good person while I'm doing something, oh my God. So I ask people to give 25 bucks to the Downtown Women's Center. It's all on the honor system. So maybe if they don't do it, uh, oh well. Um, but it seems like people are doing it. And then um, they, then I meet with somebody one on one. So we've read animation scripts out loud. Um, let me see, I did where I did all the voices for somebody. Got through stand up sets. I gave some car advice. Somebody let mm-hmm. me go off about my experience with cars. Thank you. And um, it's been a lot of fun. Um, uh, yeah. for me you'd have to ask them <laughs> what it's been like that would be me. the next interview i'll talk yeah, about. yeah please yeah no i i think that would be important to... uh
1: <laughs> do you think of your comedy as a thing that helps uh, uh
3: it helps me for sure yeah uh financially am i right no uh <laughs> yeah no uh so yeah it helps me and i think that's yeah. about all creative effort is it uh th- connects you with yourself and hopefully hopefully, with an outside audience because that can be such a a relief and lovely. And I have felt that when uh, I've talked about something and received laughter and response Mm -hmm. and I thought, oh, I'm not by myself in this issue.
1: I was talking uh, on Twitter earlier this week and a comedian and former uh, guest Rhea Butcher said, you know, Maria was made for this. And I'm, I'm sure she was referring <laughs> to your career of making comedy with, say, like, non-traditional audiences. There was the Maria Bramford show, the web series you filmed in your parents' home in Minnesota. Uh, you released a stand-up special on Christmas where there was no audience. You've done yeah. specials with just your parents or small amounts of audience. Yeah. Um, before we get to what you're doing now, just as background, what has driven this sort of formal pursuit of performing comedy with such a sort of radically different relationship to audiences and laughter than almost every stand-up?
3: Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, t- t- yeah, I've, I've always been more of a theatrical act and I, I've, I've always been an introvert. So the way I've rehearsed my stuff has always been by myself.
2: Mm-hmm. And
3: um, then with a lack of, and I always forget the word for this, which is hilarious, because it's the word for striving when you want something to uh, ambition? achieve. <laughs> ambition? I always forget the word for it.
2: Yeah.
3: Uh, ambition, loss of ambition. I I need to have different ways to get myself to do it. So yeah. that was, so doing shows for one person where they show up, and I've said I, I show up is definitely a, a way where I get a witness and uh, some, yeah, sort of uh, structure around getting myself to rehearse. But uh, the what? Yeah, it just felt natural to me because I think that's what I've always done. I haven't been uh, a comic who who does a lot of crowd work. I love crowd work as a crowd member. Oh my god! Yeah. I wish I could do it. I am terrible at it. Um, I for whatever reason I grew up in northern Minnesota. In the 80s. I don't know what that means, but just that I'm not very comfortable speaking over people, talking back, uh, Mm. having any conversation beyond a quiet, supportive listening, which uh, makes for poor riffs. (laughs) The riffs aren't there.
1: (laughs) Are you, do you feel like you have a different relationship to the amount of laughter you you need to receive?
3: Uh, Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't because if I think it's funny, that's the most important person because I'm going to have to say it a thousand times. Yeah. Um, I of course I miss. I've been doing these Zoom shows and I do miss hearing the laughs of people. I mean, it just there's there's no substitute to hearing that live. And I'm sure when we go back to doing uh, shows with people, you know, it'll be a rude awakening or very exciting <laughs> to hear. Yeah oh my gosh, th- that's what people find funny or, or that's what's doing well. Because um, now, yeah, I'm definitely in a bit of a vacuum. But yeah. I think I'm also, as a comedian, I'm also in a bit of a vacuum, like just in terms of you perform for people who only like your kind of stuff now, mm-hmm. which is a great thing in that it lets you have a career as a comedian, but on some level, I'm sure it could be said that I am not sharp as a comic because I can't perform for a whole bunch of different types of crowds. Yeah.
1: So currently you're doing daily shows at 3 p.m. Pacific in front of a, a muted Zoom audience.
3: Muted Zoom.
1: <sighs> muted Zoom. How, how quickly did you think to do, do that? What was the thinking? Why Zoom?
3: Uh, I'm in a Jillian 12-step programs. Can't tell you which one. <laughs> uh, uh, but... And so they started doing those immediately. So I was like, oh mm-hmm. my God, I could totally do this. And it was, uh, and it's free and it's less, you know, for less than 100 people. And, and uh, yeah. And I'm, I know other people were doing it when I, but, but I think as, as soon as I thought of it, I, I did it because I, <laughs> I just thought, um, yeah, I need to have a way to get myself to keep rehearsing it and and not make stand up into this special thing that Mm. i'll haven't have done in months um which as at least in my head as anxiety goes i go i can't do it anymore never mind you know and that builds up into some freaked out um uh situation so just yeah yeah
1: so what did you expect from the Zoom show, and what has surprised you?
3: Uh, let me see. I totally did want to hear laughter, but then, which is the same thing that happens on online 12-step groups or any Zoom meeting, is that people forget their mics on, a baby's mm-hmm. thing, they start a fight with their spouse, and you're like, hey, hey, guys, good, everybody, you guys. Um, so, um... But lots of lovely comments. People will... It's funny because it's kind of a different kind of heckling in the chat room yeah, where, exactly. where yeah where they'll they'll tell you punchlines to to yes. the joke um their own thoughts which is great some of them are great um and or I really enjoy. So uh, that's been kind of fun um but it also does feel like heckling. Um so I try It's a type
1: of heck it's a type of helping heckling. You it's a like help- the type of person who's like Oh, I thought of a funny thing I'm giving to you. Yeah, but yeah. It.
3: And then, but they're yelling it out after they've had a glass of wine like three minutes too late. And, yeah. um, which I love. I love that people are having a good time. And yeah, yesterday was the first time I shut down the chat room because it seemed like other people were getting stressed about it that because I'm doing the same show every day. So it's seen the material before so We're kind of um, leading on punchlines or whatever. So uh, oh, I don't know. What are you going to do? Tip your staff. Come on. Uh-
1: <laughs> um, I, I, you know, I watched a show a few days ago and I think what surprised me was how much I enjoyed uh, watching people laugh. Oh, and- that's great. Oh, <laughs> like I, I, um, I because you can do it where it's the talking view or mm-hmm. the grid view. Mm. And I at first I was just watching you because you were the performer and no one you, and then I would switch to the grid and you'd see either people nod along to premises, which is very cute always, and then or you see them erupt in laughter, but you can't hear anything. And it wasn't it wasn't the same, but it, it did feel like something. Something. You,
3: I have not, feel, I have not been <laughs> able to get that um grid. Uh, on my computer because I just don't know. <laughs> I also can get really distracted by what people are doing. And yeah. and I also get so afraid, and this is just in my brain, that like somebody will put their thumb near the camera and I'll be like, is that a penis? Is that a penis in my camera? <laughs> Which it could be. It could very well be yeah. a beautiful thumb-like penis. In my camera. But um I think I think I gotta start doing that because I think that would be fun to see people laugh. That would be lovely.
1: I had spent some of the time looking at people's faces just sort of out of curiosity. No one I didn't see any penises. There <laughs> was it was just interesting to see the postures of people watching comedy as a person who's just like fascinated with audiences in general. Like some people being like very combative. Yeah, or some yeah, people yeah. being so open open eyed i think it, i think it's really fascinating so you've said you've noticed people coming back have you sort of what is your relationship with those people have you communicated at all directly to anyone
3: uh oh uh just through email i have a separate email people can um yeah and just people are very lovely i mean they're fans of what i do so obviously it's gonna skew positive yeah <laughs> and um, <laughs> it's not gonna be like hey <laughs> you suck um uh i i although i appreciate that kind of hard line uh, mm-hmm. critique um yeah the yeah just been a lovely uh Lovely emails of people just saying, "Hey, thanks for doing something," and um, uh, where I gave money to to my mm-hmm. food shelf, um, who I was watching with my dog. Uh, you know, sometimes people send a picture of their their dog or their baby who watched the whole show. Oh, good! And um, that feels meaningful. And yeah, so it's and I got one job offer. Uh, for three hundred bucks to do a Zoom for show for three hundred bucks online for a bunch of librarians, and I sent her a message back just saying I'm down, totally want to yeah. do it, love the cash, um, but it is comedy is a, a, a my friend Jackie says an adult sport is mm-hmm. you just don't know what people are going like to like it just like and if it's a work situation I I would really err on the side of. Something that everybody, everybody gonna like, because um, um, yeah, why makes people suffer yeah. more at work?
1: <laughs> um, one moment that I really thought was something was so at the at the end, you turned off everyone's mute and had them make noise, and it was sort of this glitchy cacophony. Yeah, Here,
3: I'll take it off mute. Uh, give yourself a motivational sticker. Uh, they're very inexpensive.
1: Um, and, uh, God, God, I, God. You know, for me, I, I like almost teared up. What was it like for you to hear this sort of like weird? Sh- it's like everyone's cheering, but it's 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 fractured.
3: Oh, um, oh, it's just lovely. Lovely yeah. to hear all the little. And I just wish I could see every single person's little face and see where they're calling from and like uh, see you know, hear about their lives, and I think that's what I've been doing with the "Help me, help you, help me" because it's mm-hmm. kind of like being able to talk to an audience member afterwards and um, feel you because know, otherwise, I I just yeah I get I get a little overwhelmed. That the so yeah. when I when I started putting out that "Help you, help me," then people were like, "You should put up a scheduling software so that people can sign up for hours at a time," and I'm like. Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> one person at a time every maybe three days.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think that's enough. I want to talk a little bit about material. H- has doing the show this way without being able to hear people no- noticeably affected any jokes you've been working on? If so, how?
3: Uh, Well, yes. I mean, for sure. People, I, I, I was writing a, it was, there's a scene in a different uh, one story about, Ah, uh, this kid at Harvard asking me, um, uh, "Yeah," or just saying, "I just don't know what I'm gonna do after I graduate." And before I had written it, one way was saying, "Like, hey Harvard, hey, uh, don't complain down to the hobo. Uh, you're you went to fucking Harvard. What?" <laughs> what's this is so bizarre so and this t- somebody said hey what if they were actually genuinely ha- asking for help and i wanted to make it clear that in that reality it was odd uh yeah. because the kids were kind of asking those kind of you know questions of but i think it it was out of politeness because when i got deep into asking them hey so what are your plans after school they're like yeah i'm fine <laughs> Yeah, I've already got um I've got two scripts uh out to an agent and um mm-hmm. I'm fully repped. Um yeah, I don't <laughs> when I asked that I meant I don't know what I meant, but I was just I thought I should ask you. <laughs> yeah, cuz I think, you know, they're supposed to ask older people, yeah. you know, it was a kind thing to do for me, <laughs> but it was so confusing like oh, you're wait, should I be asking you for a job? Which I think is what I started to definitely realize was like, yeah. you are the future of show business. And um, so, the, so stuff like that. And that was from a comment somebody made. Oh, interesting. Uh,
1: um, Have you noticed not having to worry about like uh, room tightness, like a, that? Pe- the idea that people, if there's certain subjects that might be yeah. not edgy, but sort of like more complicated?
3: Yeah, I, I am not paying attention to it at all, which yeah. is is frightening. Like, cause I go, Oh, it's easier. I, I think, yeah, I just, I don't want to obviously um, talk out of turn about something I don't know anything about, um, which I have done before. I am a dinosaur. Yeah. No, there definitely, I, I, I was, I've done some talking about 12 step programs, which I never really would talk about before mm-hmm. just cause I felt a little Because they're kind of a cult, so you feel like you're going to be smote if you say which ones you're in, and um, and yet they're so funny. I mean, they're such they're so funny those groups, and um, so anyways. But I've been felt totally free to talk about them because I'm not getting any room confusion or or you know, yeah, either people don't know what it is or don't care. or, yeah, I just don't hear any feedback. So it's just all what I what I want to talk about, which yeah. I, I don't know if it's good or bad. Um, I'm not sure.
1: Have you been doing material about uh, the pandemic or the, the virus in general?
3: Um, just, uh, m- yeah, just some, the personal stuff of like my mom uh, is quarantined with us and She asked me, honey, when you go to the grocery, could you pick up a pint of fresh organic raspberries? And then I'd like to have a full quart of Chobani, C-H-O-B-A-N-I, Chobani vanilla yogurt, nonfat. And uh, if they have tulips, loose cut tulips, not, not in an arrangement, I mean, daffodils would also be fine. Uh, mom, I got you a sealed bag with cardboard at the top of those mm-hmm. orange jelly slices covered in sugar, Uh, pouch, I think it's, yeah, like a, a, a pouch of barley, and then, um, this half, half tipped over rosemary plant that was in the basil section, but there are no sections anymore. I love you so much.
1: Do you have a sense of the audience reception to material about this while we're in it?
3: Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. You know, beyond what people have written or yeah. a thumbs up or hearts, if you're on Instagram, the hearts. Um it's inconvenient at the very most it's just inconvenient yeah. it's not it, but it's it's not heartbreaking it's just sort of like oh this is this is new experience and i, and I think i'm I, I i realize how grateful i am for uh going out and uh extroversion mm-hmm. and uh being in in nightclubs
1: <laughs> you um you mentioned that you the stuff you're doing was mostly just personal stuff. Do you you know? I, this is this is. I guess the question is sort of why why do material about it? Not saying you shouldn't, but I imagine there's some thinking of like oh it's too sensitive or these are things that um you as you alluded to oh like there's people dying and you shouldn't be doing comedy about it, which is not again my opinion, but yeah yeah one might say that why address it? I think it's for you
3: comedy. It's also entertainment. It's subjective. If you don't like it, turn it off. If you don't yeah. like it, shut it down. Mute it. You, you don't have to listen to it. You could, yeah, r- write a Yelp review of your local comic saying, yeah. But but that everybody gets to find what they find beautiful, what they find beautiful. And f- yeah. find, um uh you know, you might go to the mosque and find inspiration. I'm going to go to the... Uh, gas station I don't know for me I have my own things about talking about uh stuff so I I, you know there's things I might be uncomfortable about talking about Mm -hmm. but I don't think that means other people shouldn't talk about them if if they are down if they're um and, and I'm also I'm not a believer in you know what's funny you know what's really funny yeah I don't Uh, That just doesn't make any sense to me. That uh, there's one funny,
2: yeah. Uh,
3: So uh, yeah, even if I don't agree with something, again, uh, yeah, I I, I can always appreciate the craftsmanship behind a joke or a character or something. Um, If it is harmful to society as a whole, uh, like it's uh, racist, sexist, all anti-humanitarian. That that's that that's a bummer, but doesn't mean people can't say exactly what they want to say. I mean, some people, yeah. So I don't know. I I, yeah. I I think it's worrisome to start saying you can't talk about, especially especially things that are serious, because uh, because it is so intense. It's kind of a relief to have some laughs.
1: Yeah, I mean your your entire career, and we talked about it before, which is sort of you would talk about things that people aren't comfortable talking about publicly. And by just talking about it publicly, you are making it easier for people to talk talk about it. For a while, it was mental illness, uh, but also, was, I remember, like, financial matters. Like, like yeah. you're by talking about it, yeah, yeah, you are showing people how to talk about
3: it. I am not making any money off of this, you guys. I am making no money off this. Um, yeah, no, I think, uh, and, and now, I mean, uh, yeah, and those are things. Also, I'm old. I'm old. So I feel a little bit more of my mortality, and just going, "Oh, who gives a shit?" Like, 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 how is it going to hurt me that everybody knows everything about me? Yeah. you know.
1: Um, ha- has the pandemic made you uh, look at any of your existing material differently? As you're sort of saying it every night, has it? Have you noticed that the stakes of things have changed? Mm. Or just in general,
3: just just the references to being close in any confined space with anybody else, like uh, just that that's a, not a thing. It's just yeah. not a thing at, at this time, um, or for the next for for the foreseeable future. So so that that is uh, yeah, I've kind of let that slide. I was just like, well, I'm just gonna tell this joke as if we, people were still hugging.
1: I'll, I'll end it here when it, it, if you were to picture yourself performing again in front of live live people in the same room. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, what do you see? Do you have any sense of it? Can you imagine it? Where would you be? Who are you performing in front of? What would you like it to be like?
3: Well, I would love to have the power of muting and uh, in a live venue. And, no, uh yes, I do probably I do like that. Um, there's also the thing of not having to travel all the time, which is sort of lovely and, and that the pollution has gone down definitely in Los Angeles over not having people, so so many people driving. And I assume because of the, you no know, air travel as well. So that's a good thing. So, uh, yeah. maybe I don't need to do <laughs> the, An- maybe you don't need to be in person. <laughs> the Ann Arbor Cavity Showcase, uh, Hello to Roger Feeney, if he's out there. I doubt he's on the internet. Uh, he he has a landline. I'm pretty sure things will continue because reading about the 1918 flu, people forget almost immediately. Yeah. <laughs> Once the crisis passed, they forget almost immediately.
1: So you're saying things will immediately go back to whatever it was, or are you saying whatever it will w- keep on happening?
3: Okay, it will keep on happening. You know, either something will come up from something else including my own business like yeah it'll become some you know if i don't get as many live gigs i'll you know do something else i'm also uh a not very good bookkeeper so (laughs) i also have that skill i am not detail oriented i might fuck it up
1: do you think first time out of the gate you're allowed to talk to people again you think it'll be one person or do you think it'll be a crowd
3: uh, probably I think I'll I, I will be delighted if people are able to meet f- for a crowd. Um, But it might be an actual person because there's my coffee shop down the street. That's the other great thing about one-on-one shows. I just walk down the street and it's cheaper for me to perform Uh, down the street buying someone a full meal than it is to Valet Park in Los Angeles. <laughs> so, sure you don't want it to go back? Because I... You could get something more expensive. Um, but yeah, so I th- I'll, be, I'll be delighted. I think that'll be really exciting. And I'm sure everybody will feel the same way. Just to be so exciting.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for doing this. It was great talking to you.
3: Okay. Thank you. Thank
1: you so much. Thank you. That's it for another episode. You can purchase Maria's latest special, Weakness is the Brand, on Amazon and iTunes, or watch her previous one, Old Baby, on Netflix. Follow Maria on Twitter, at Maria Bamfu, and on Instagram, at Maria Bamford Comedy, for links to our Zoom shows. Good One is produced by myself, Jelani Carter, and Art Chum. Gautam Shrikashin engineered part of this episode and wrote our theme song. Write a review and rate the show on Apple Podcasts. Five stars, please. Email any comments, questions, or laughing around suggestions to goodonepodcast at gmail.com, or tweet us at Podcast. I'm Jesse David Fox, and you can follow me at Jesse David Fox. Good Ones is a production of Vulture in the Box Media Podcast Network. We'll be back next week with David Wayne. Have a good one.
0: Why do you run? Why does anyone? I always thought that runners loved running. And that's not the case. Most runners hate running. (laughs) But they choose to do it.